Welcome to episode 205 of No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by the first time... No, screw that. I'm, I'm Rusty, joined for the first time in a while by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm doing well. It's almost like I don't even know what your voice sounds like anymore, Ben. I know. How do we do this? I'm, I'm feeling like I hit record, right? Yes. Okay. So we're rolling. <laughs> we're doing this. This is our first episode in two months. It feels longer than that, actually, but we haven't done an episode since right after Indian Wells. This is on us. This is We should have done one in Charleston for sure. We meant to do one in Charleston when we were together there. But the food scene in Charleston is so good that evenings kind of... And also we discovered a fun uh, Switch game. So evenings were pretty packed, it has to be said, in Charleston. We just couldn't make the time. It, it's true. And honestly, as we'll get to in the rest of this, like we, I'm not sure that much happened, per se, that has really shifted where the ball is, so to speak, in terms of the tennis landscape in the past while. And just more big picture than that. I mean, like, we've, and again, this is episode 205. We've talked a lot about this sport <laughs> and everybody involved in it at this point. And so I think part of us not doing an episode has to be somewhat reflective of that, in that there hasn't seemed like there's been urgent breaking things, or at least not things that rise to the scale of sort of, like, relevance, quote-unquote, for, for NCR. So hopefully by keeping it sparser, and we will try to be more regular every two months in the future. It's our bad. We want to make sure yes. that we understand that this was a terrible drought um, that only, like, 20 of you actually care about. But, uh, yes, we, we, we will try to be better. We'll try to be better, and we're going to do a draw show when the draw comes out at the end of this week. We're recording this on Tuesday before the French Open starts in our lovely Airbnb in Paris, where we are for the fifth year in a row, which is I know. Pretty, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, so where are we, Courtney, in tennis going into the French Open? Let's sort of set the table for what it, everything looks like before before we know the draw, which obviously changes a lot about what will happen at the French Open. But what's where have we been the last two months, and where does that seem to be pointing us in the future? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it just before Ben hit record, and I asked kind of rhetorically, literally, right before he hit the record button, like, are we any different, are we in any different of a space, or that different of a space now as we head into the 2018 French Open as we were when we headed into the 2017 French Open insofar as like you know we've seen Rafa be Rafa and do the do the thing which is you know what we were seeing him kind of do last year as well the young Roger skipped clay again Roger skipped clay again the young guns who are who are around teams Zverev they still same guys remain to be those guys who seem to be the ones that are competing for those top spots and those deep runs uh obviously question marks around Novak question marks around Andy uh Andy obviously not yeah yeah. and he's just gone but but you know I mean is it is it that different, I guess, on the men's side and then also on the women's side? I mean, we go into the French Open with as wide open of a field as we had last year, I think. You know, I mean, you know, Halep hasn't been as dominant on the clay se- during the clay season as she was necessarily last year, although she hasn't been bad either. Um, Svitolina, obviously, winning a back-to-back Rome. Petra, uh, Pliskova, the Czechs ruling the first half of the clay season, but can they do it in Paris? We don't know. Kiki Burton's like doing like the last unicorn, right? Like she's like the last specialist, the last specialist, the last clay court specialist doing her thing, winning Charleston. I mean, 
all that, plus uh, Cher Pova is playing uh, better. Uh, Serena is coming back at the French Open. Vika coming, yeah. you know, making that semifinal in Miami, which I thought was incredible. Uh, it's open. Uh, and I, I just, I just, this goes back to Ben's original point about like we hadn't had a show because there didn't seem to be big tent poles being laid down to kind of set this up to where we felt like there was something different to say maybe then i mean it's different for like because obviously i do the wta insider podcast and that's obviously more granular definitely so that obviously makes more sense but from a from a take a step back perspective it's a little bit of deja vu to use the only french word i know there you go no it's as well put it's uh it is, and the changes, there are changes, like Sharapova was not playing last year, she got her, she was hurt, and she got wild card, uh, denied, or declined, whatever you want to say, by Bernard Guticelli on his Facebook page. How was his Facebook uh, announcement about wild cards this oh, year, Ben? He didn't do one this year. Really? No. He That's just, so weird. Yeah, it is weird, right? Uh <laughs> He, uh, yeah, so so that's, so she's there, Vika and Serena, but honestly, I don't think anyone, well, we can talk about Serena more in a second. I don't think people expect Vika to contend necessarily for a French Open. It's been her worst slam in her career, I'm pretty sure. This and Wimbledon are not, neither great, but she got beat pretty handily uh, by Osaka, certainly in Rome the last time I saw her play, and also anyone saw her play. Um, and so she's not necessarily a contender here. Serena, we'll see, but Serena, this, yeah, well, I don't know what to expect from Serena at the French Open. She could win it. She could lose early. Neither would surprise. And yeah, but overall, there hasn't been too much. And even with Serena talking about the show, Serena's been AWOL. You know, it's not like we've had this Serena sort of thing to track. Serena after... Yeah, there hasn't been Tiger Tracker or I think that we, Tracker. I think that we recorded this episode. I, I think actually we did this ep- the last episode, if I remember correctly, after she lost to Osaka okay. at Miami, I think. If not, it was before that, but we knew that was going to be a tough match anyway. So she got beat pretty handily by Naomi Osaka, who was playing really well. Uh, in, in the first round of Miami, and then she went off the grid, essentially went to go train in France for a while on clay at the Mortaglou Academy. Uh, she went to the Royal Reading last weekend, but she hasn't been playing tournaments, and her ranking hasn't gotten higher because of that. Um, so she's still ranked in the 400 somewhere. She'll be unseated at the French Open, and there's been a whole lot of talk about that. Um, but yeah, uh, I do you have any more thoughts on how to read the tea leaves on where Serena's at now, or is there any reason for clarity or no? Um, I mean, I will say that, like, obviously going back to Indy Wells, and, and I presume that this is what I said during our last episode, because this is how I felt at Indian Wells, was I was incredibly impressed by her level there at that tournament. And she had gone into that tournament fairly cold, and she hadn't been all that impressive in the, you know, sparse outings that we had seen from her in doubles at Fed Cup and also the Abu Dhabi exhibition against Ostapenko. I think we had a lot of, um, there was a lot of skepticism. Certainly about, the Fed Cup, yeah. Yeah, about her form going into Indian Wells. And I thought that she played really well, lost to Venus in the third round. Um, and, um, and yeah, so there was, a, there was reason to be optimistic. I thought coming out of the hardcourt season, even with that first round loss to, to Osaka in Miami, I think that that's kind of one of those like perfect circumstances of playing like a red hot player who, yeah, just, just had another great day and, and obviously had, had come off of the title run in Indian Wells. So, um, the, 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 I was a little bit surprised I get, well, I don't know if I want to say surprise. I might be overstating it because I don't. I'm not entirely sure that when it comes to Serena's playing schedule, I'm ever surprised one way or the other about like what she's entered into and then what she withdraws from and yeah. how much she plays and things like that. You and I had talked about this, I think, um, in Charleston when we were playing video games. That that we were a little bit surprised that like why not play Charleston? 
right? Like yeah, you lost. That was a perfect tournament. To yeah, play. like you lost early in Miami and Charleston. They love her there, and she loves the city. Um, it was a good, you know, they would she's have healthy. She's she was healthy at the time it seemed, yeah. and she would have had two basically ten days or so to practice even more so to get ready for Charleston. As again, and we'll talk about the seating issue, but. Um, you know, it would have been an opportunity to, to, to get points, to get some, some good matches in, to get her ranking up. You know, she could have won Charleston. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say that she, I mean, so why not play Charleston? Then from there, why not play Madrid, a tournament that you won twice? Um, Rome is obviously a special city for her. It's where she met Alexis, and she likes the, the, the tournament a lot. She was there, actually. She was there. Granted, Rome was during the royal wedding. A royal yes, wedding was during which Rome. is what I was leading into, which is that the royal wedding was on the Saturday of the, the final weekend. So, um, you know, maybe that's, that influenced things as well, which is fair enough, because she looked awesome, and it was great. But, um, yeah, there were plenty of opportunities to kind of get on the tour get the get the rhythm get more matches kind of get her confidence to where maybe you know and but at the same time this is the enigma of serena maybe she doesn't want to put herself out there because maybe the confidence would it, that the risk of of decreased confidence is too high as opposed to like going into a slam and your least successful slam um completely cold a complete mystery yeah and to have that aura that serena aura <laughs> completely intact as she when she takes the the her first steps for her first match maybe that is preferable yeah than than the other you know the yeah all right serena is not leighton hewitt i mean serena is not somebody who late in her career well much like leighton she's still around yeah oh god leighton <laughs> getting his wild card <laughs> but leighton like in leighton his singles career which was the last several years of which were mostly pretty ugly um he was happy to go well, not happy but like willing to go out and play smaller tournaments and get beat or just sort of fight and grind and you know live and play without the sort of still people respected him a lot but he didn't have that he was not didn't mind getting beaten up serena has never really been that player where she's willfully and most champions are probably not like leighton hewitt um which is a good thing in that they don't want to go out there and get their legacies damaged or just go out there and be out there for the sake of being out there if they don't think they can compete and win. And I think maybe that, especially the decisive loss to Osaka, maybe really showed, told Serena in her mind, I'm not ready. I don't want to go out there and lose to these kids again. Um, you know, just get pressed after that tournament, after that match, rather. She clearly wasn't happy. Um, and she said, other... a chance. Ask Carol Bouchard to tell you, to do the retelling, the dramatic retelling of when she <laughs> saw Serena get into the car. And she was like, well, oh, there she goes. <laughs> But and Serena, and Serena has had her uh, HBO show coming out. She's been doing plenty of promo for that. Sometimes within tweets, which really throws me off. Which has these tweets like, "Oh, I'm watching Olympia sleep. It's great, Serena, being Serena, 10 p.m. HBO." It's it's those those throw me. Uh, but you know, she's she's doing her thing. I guess we should we talk about seating now. It seems sure, like a time. Let's I mean, talk about seating. Okay. So there's been talk about how a lot of talk and various reports about how people think. I think it's fair to say she said generalization. Some people think that Serena Williams should get seated for the French Open. That is... That well, this has been a discussion said, since you, you, all the you, way you back in... It up, I guess, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a discussion that was raised all the way back in Indian Wells when she was set to make her comeback. Maybe even before that when there was talk about her potentially playing the Australian Open of whether or not, obviously, players who uh, are either injured or come off of, like, maternity leave um, have a protected ranking. What is a protected or special ranking? It basically... Uh, you file paperwork 
upon whatever the incident is and it allows you to freeze your ranking when you leave the tour and so this applies to long-term injuries it can't just be like i sprained my ankle but like long-term injuries i think over six, six months, six, has to be months. Six, months yeah. Yeah. six months minimum uh and so and over time the maternity leave policy on the wta tour has evolved um you know it, it used to be that it was kind of exactly the same is treated as injury where you had that six months and then over time it's changed to where while a protected ranking for injury might be for six, you have to be out for six months, but also you have a very certain amount of time within which you can use that protected ranking to get into tournaments as an entry. Now, protected rankings are not protected seedings. You cannot use your protected ranking in order to earn a seeding in a tournament. So like for Serena, she was getting protected ranking, you know, entry into tournaments, but that's why she's not unseated or why she's unseated. Yeah. Um, the maternity leave policy has evolved over time to where now the window for how long you can use your protected ranking for tournament entry after coming off of maternity leave is much longer than it used to be. Hmm. In other words, the idea that women's bodies bounce back at different rates. For some women, they can come back within six months of having a child. For other women, it take it takes a lot longer. And obviously, there's also this idea of like you don't want to punish, obviously, women who go and have children. It's a great and wonderful thing. It's it's a wonderful life experience. It's not, you know, they shouldn't be penalized for being a mom. So that sets all that up. The basic rule is that, yeah, it, it's not used for seating. The argument, obviously, once Serena came back, and, and again, this wasn't something that I don't recall people discussing when Kim Kleisters came back. This wasn't something that people, I really think, was were discussing in earnest when Vika came back last year either. This is something that has really been brought to the forefront because it's Serena, because in our minds and in in particular, I think the kind of non-tennis fan mind, Serena is the best. So Serena should be the seed number one. Anytime, all the time, all, all the time. Like, okay, like I get that. I totally understand the visceral reaction to it. I'm sure the top players would be perfectly fine with it because it minimizes the chances of them seeing Serena in the, the first or second round of tournaments. This is something that has been regularly debated and voted on by the Players' Council. There are many people on the Players' Council. One of the people that's on the Players' Council is Victoria Azarenka. Um, I tweeted this out earlier this morning because I do feel like there's a lot of kind of like, not even misinformation, just a lot of people just like making arguments that... The Under information. Yeah, the, the upshot is this isn't a slam dunk argument to me, in my personal opinion. It, it's not like, oh, this is obviously how it should be and it should always be. And Victoria Azarenka was asked about it in Miami as a representative of the Players' Council, what she thought, and obviously this impacts her as well, as she has been unseated at these tournaments. And and she kind of laid out both sides of the argument, which is like, yes, like, of course, like in this situation, because it's me and because it's Serena, we're kind of the exceptions to the rule where everybody, I'm paraphrasing Vika, by the way, and you can go back in my tweets and you can find the actual transcripts. But where she's saying, you know, like, if yeah, for us, like, it makes sense because of what we've accomplished and who we are and whatever that we would be seated. But maybe we're the exception of the rule to the rule. And as a member of the player council, I have to look at it objectively. And what about those other players who should be seated because they have been on tour and they have worked their way into that seating position and we bump them out? And that's significant as well. And 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 it's just not easy. And the example that I, I brought up and Ben and I were talking about it earlier this morning is is. Mihaela Buzernescu. Mihaela Buzernescu currently is number 32. She's she's set to be the number 31 seed. Um, she's set to be 
seated at a slam for the first time in her career. If you I mean, know, a really great rise, yeah, incredible. Like she was outside the top five hundred, I think, like maybe like sixteen months ago or something like that. Um, had t- terrible injuries throughout her career. Went and got a PhD, came back, and her body had healed. And now she's she's set to be, you know, made two two tournament finals this year in Hobart and in uh, in Prague. She's set to be seated for her first slam. It's an incredible story. If Vika and Serena were to be seated, she would be bumped out. She would be number 33. Like, there's two sides to the story. And I, yeah. and that's the only thing that I kind of wanted to make sure that kind of people understood. Because it's just it's just not that easy to me. It's not clean in my head. The other thing that I'll say on that, and just, I think it's, if they do see them, where do you see them? Do you see them the right, lowest, lowest possible the lowest, seed? I mean, yeah. do you put Serena at number one? That seems like a stretch for me, given the results. I mean, she's only played four matches this year, and she's two and two. Uh, Vika, when Vika came back, I was at Vika's comeback in Mallorca last year, and it wasn't pretty. I mean, she wasn't playing well. I mean, she played, uh, she nearly lost to Risa Ozaki in the first round, and then she got clobbered pretty well by Ana Kanya in the second match. And in that, if, depending on, so could she have been seated there? I mean, maybe, but she wasn't playing like it yet. And so, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a counter arguments. I understand in theory, then again, Kim Kleisters came back and was pretty much right away at her best. Uh, she played really well in Cincinnati and Canada and then won the U.S. Open. Um, but there's, I don't know if there's a set, big enough sample size of these top, top players coming back from this to know what the fair sort of metric is. And and also, I mean, the thing with both Vika and Serena, Vika had different issues because Vika's had her whole custody dispute thing that's she's not wanting to travel without her son, so she's missed a lot of tournaments, but now she's coming back and playing more and traveling with Leo here in Europe, I think. So she's building, she will build her ranking up. Like she's, if she starts playing a more full schedule, her ranking will get there. Serena, you know, is not playing a full schedule. And like we mentioned with Charleston earlier, has had opportunities to play more tournaments than she has. I don't think that, I think you should always still for ranking purposes and for seeding purposes, be encouraged to play a full, at least full-ish schedule. I mean, Serena hasn't played a ton of tournaments in the last three years, period. Um, But she could certainly play more and, and I don't know I, Wimbledon almost certainly will seed her I don't know about Azarenka but definitely will seed Serena because they, they take that every slam has the prerogative to change seedings but Wimbledon's the only one that ever really does it I remember this getting talked about with Serena previously in 2011 when she um, had come back from the pulmonary embolism, the, the pulmonary embolism yeah. and the foot injury and she had won I believe Stanford and Canada uh, and she was soaring up the rankings and really just playing dominant tennis and she was going to go into the U.S. Open, I think, seated, I think she was seated like 28th or 29th at that tournament. And people thought she should be bumped higher because under those rules, she would play one of the top uh, eight seeds in the third round. And uh, she did want to play actually Vika, ironically, in, in that third round. And Vika got knocked out. And Vika was, I think, number four maybe at the time, four or five, and was one of the better players who had to play Serena first week. And that's not really per se fair to either of them to have that matchup happen. So... Early. Um, so this has been talked about before. Is it different coming back from that in terms of seeding and how well she's playing? That one I that one I can make more of a subjective case for because she had been winning tournaments. And like she was demonstrating that I, Serena Williams, in my current form, am better than my ranking. Right now, I mean, yes, I think everyone thinks that she's better than 450th or right. whatever she is right now. But she hasn't played enough to show that she, I mean, she's played four matches and won two and lost two. She should definitely in the French Open. I don't. I don't dislike the rule, but once you start seating her, I don't know. I. I. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I hear. I hear both easy. sides. I just. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think. I agree with what your point was. I just don't think it's a slam dunk. Yeah, that's 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 the upshot. Yeah. I mean, I think that the winds are changing. I think that 
it's very it's very possible and, and probably likely that it does change with respect to this idea about protected seatings. But I just remember like what Vika said in Miami being like really standing out because I thought that it was because I'm a systems girl. I like I like rules and I like rules that are consistently applied. I think that that is in general my worldview. That's kind of fairness. Mm-hmm. And I remember Vika saying in Miami, look, like we might be the exceptions to the rule. That doesn't mean that you change necessarily change the whole rule so that it applies to every player from here until perpetuity. Like that's not maybe and Vika wasn't saying no to that. She was just saying maybe that's not right though. I'm still thinking about it. You know, like these are extenuating circumstances because you're talking about two players who are in the active realm, probably what top two, top three active players that mm-hmm. people th- consider in their minds. You know what I mean? Like three or four, like definitely top five. And what by what metric? Like are you active, about? like the active greats. Oh, in terms of like in terms of greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah. like but active, yeah, they're up there. You I know think that's rank is behind no, Venus and hundred percent. I'm saying yeah, top, okay. yeah, top five, right? Sure. So. And so maybe, and so that was what Vika was kind of entertaining. It's like, maybe we're the exceptions and it's just kind of like, maybe the rule is right, but it just doesn't seem to apply to our situation. But do we change that? I don't know. And and then that, and that's basically what she said. And that's what I'm saying as well is that like, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, Wimbledon obviously, yeah, is in a situation to look very good. I mean, they'll get tons of PR bonus points. There's a part of me that's a little bit like, uh, like, like let's say it was the French Open and they seated her one, and she went out in like the second round. Like, I don't know. Like I, I cringe at the potential coverage of the women's tour. Like at that, like oh, like just because everybody has this conception, but what you about Serena and how good she is, and we all know that she is, right now on this day. Has she is she the number one player or proven that she has over in recent weeks that she can play number one ball? Uh, no, no, and, no, and and there's and there's that that's just math. It's it's just it's you know and and one of the arguments I was making to to a bunch to a bunch of friends as well was just that oh my god Ben don't move do not move what are you doing there's a fucking spider dude. Sorry. I'm trying to save you. That's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) I had a spider on me, apparently. (laughs) You were clearly... I was like, what? It was like a snake or something. (laughs) No, because it like crawled up your shirt like around this way. And I was worried. It was on the front? Yeah, it was like this way. Oh, cool. I didn't feel it at all. Yeah. Sorry. Don't know where I was. I'm not sure where we were either. Um, the spider, spider, spider is averted. Uh, Anyways, that's, yeah, there's, 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 it's not an easy. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. It's just don't think, it's, there's, there will be a lot of hot takery about it. Because there's a very this emotional like, because response. It, because like, it's Serena, this is the it. kind of thing that can get onto, you know, PTI or like around the horn or whatever. Like, should Serena be number one? Of course, Serena should be number one. She's the greatest of all time. It's very easy to, and, you know, blow hard quickly about it but i think yeah and i will add one more thing which is what i was going to say before which is that like one of the things that i really do 
love about tennis. It's, it's something that I think it's, it's a really beautiful thing that I don't necessarily think exists in a lot of other sports, especially a lot of the big, big sports. There is no barrier, right? Like if you're, if the math adds up, you're into the tournament. Open sport. It's an open sport. This idea of openness. We don't choose. We don't sit there outside of wild cards and who you allow in that hasn't had direct entry. We don't choose who's seated, where, what, like just because of like, oh, we just think that this person is better than this person. So we let them into the tournament. Like, again, setting wild, wild cards aside. And I do think that's like a really beautiful thing. And, and that, you know, on one hand, you can have those situations where somebody's earned their spot and they get it and everybody's yay, like nothing can stop them. And on the flip side, you have people who like, gosh, I sure wish the system would stop them from getting in. But the system can't do that. Right. Unlike, you know, coaches picking teams and who what teams players somebody signs and what's happening with Kaepernick, for example. Yeah. Like there are ways. There would never be a tennis Kaepernick. There's never a tennis Kaepernick because you can always, so long as the math checks out, you're in. And I think that it's just, it, it, because of that, the whole fluctuating seedings, it's why I've really never liked the Wimbledon formula. I've, I get it, and I understand the conception behind it. I've just never really liked it. But it is a little bit because of that. Because, like, I, I like that, like, it's just numbers. Like, it, you've earned it. You're a clay court dude. Great. You hoarded points. Great. You're the number eight seed of Wimbledon. Cool. Like, I know, I know, and I that's like opening up a different. I, I like the formula. Thing. I think fun, I think the women should use it too because they don't. Yeah, they never do. Um, they just go by the rankings, and I think they sort of that sort of is lazy of the of the. They don't have an explicit. They have the thing where they can change, but they don't have the explicit formula that the men have, men which is yeah. really weird. It is weird that they just don't. They don't bother to like, open an Excel just, sheet for women. Is it too. that hard to do math twice? No, and and and, and to your point, I think it is a problem. I think it is. Worth averting having Sarah Ronnie to use a past example, having been a top eight seed at Wimbledon. She never should have been one in terms of, because I think seeding, to go to the other point, and I think this is a distinction worth making, I think of seeding being less something you earn and more a projection of how you're expected to do the tournament. I think that I use it more like in March Madness terms. I think that you're seated yeah, to try to make like the that. most even tournament. That's what I think seedings no, are. I understand it in the March Madness context. I understand another context. In tennis, I just. That's just never... I think that, for example, I and I know that, like, let's say, for example, the last player I can remember who was in free fall was Jeannie Bouchard. When Jeannie Bouchard kept losing and losing and losing in 2015, I guess, but she was still a top eight seed for a long time um, and was just getting knocked out and the draws were... that little, Her little section of draws was imploding Soft. all the time. Yeah. That makes the draw lose its sort of structural integrity, and if it was a subjected seed and thing, you'd knock her seat way down. Because you don't think that she is likely, I think. I think in yeah, seeding, sure. I think in seeding, essentially, like the number five seed should be the fifth, the player fifth most likely to win the tournament, and so on. Yeah, no, I understand that as a con- uh, conceptually, and and obviously that's why. I mean, you know, March Madness, if it's seeded correct, that's why you don't get crazy seeds in the finals, right? Because they're constantly reseed. Like, don't they reseed? Or something, or rejigger. No. no, anyways, but there's like a seat, but there's a seating committee yeah. that sits down and does right. It. They do it. They do it. They sit down and they and they evaluate. And sometimes it's good. To, there are upsets, obviously, that happen, but they try to. Yeah, but it. but I don't know. I mean, I just I like the seatings as a as a protection to the player. I think that in like you earned it, and and that that is work that you've done over the course of time to earn that seating I agree and yeah that you're in you're playing shit but like you have earned it and you have earned that protection i think that there aren't enough god okay. i'm gonna sound like rafa here Ugh. uh 
I I think that there aren't enough player protections at times um, that that can allow for a, that that allow the sport because I think that the sport is unrelenting and unforgiving and very cruel, and I think that like you know a a, a four week dip of form shouldn't strip away from you the protections that you've earned over 12 months. Like that is worrisome to me. Now, could that lead to better tournaments? Possibly. Like I'm not disagreeing with that because I, I get your March Madness argument. I, I, but, I'm realizing now, by the way, the better example of a recent person crashing is Mladenovic, not Bouchard. Because Mladenovic this year, anyway, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, even last year, you think about a Kerber. Yeah. How quickly she fell. And, and those were always soft sections of the draw was where Angie was. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm okay with having this artificial protection for players to suck a little bit because otherwise, like, honestly, like otherwise, like the volatility and I don't know, there's a cruelty there that just doesn't sit well with me and I'm probably not articulating it well, but I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> That's what I, it comes to. I, I, am, I like it. <laughs> I am not trying to uh, endorse sucking personally. You, you mentioned Rafa. Let's just go the men's side a little bit, and then we'll get to the women uh, more granularly. So Rafa wins Monte Carlo. He wins Barcelona. He loses in the quarterfinals of Madrid to team, and then he wins Rome. And this is almost identical to last year's clay court season, where instead of when he won Monte Carlo, he won Barcelona, he won Madrid, and then he lost quarterfinals of Rome to team. Um, so just flip the Madrid and Rome results, essentially. He was losing in the final of the Rome tournament to Sasha Zverev. We'll talk about Zverev maybe in a sec. But, and to the clouds. But does Rafa, yes, but does Ra- and Rain change that match a couple times? But does Rafa have, you know, is he prohibitive? Before we see the draw, is he, is it still a shock if Rafa doesn't win the French Open this year? Yes. Shock, I agree. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, it's a same. Like, I mean, outside of the year when the cup few years when Novak was clearly pushing forward and it was and really, was shutting down. Too. Yeah, it was real one two one two. But like, no, I mean, it's it's a, a best of five. Come on, man. Yeah. No, no way. Agreed. Agreed. As long as he's healthy, and I mean, even if I can try and think of like the nightmare draw that he could potentially get, it doesn't concern me too much. Zverev is the number two seed here. Um which just sounds weird because he hasn't made a slam quarterfinal. Talk about your seedings. Uh, no, <laughs> which seriously. I'm okay with because Sasha, you earned it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Sasha then. So do you think that Sasha is ready to make a slam final? Ooh. I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. but seriously, he's the, number two, he's the number two seed. Like, let's not, you know, treat him with baby gloves and give him participation medal for making the fourth round, which he's only done once before. Um, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's I, my story was very easy to write the final, I thought, and maybe it showed and how bad it was on you side this the story I wrote about the rome finals on sunday was about svitolina and zverev and how they're in this very similar boats where zverev has had well they both had great great tour success zverev's gotten a little bit higher he's gotten to number he's number three i think Svitolina's number four still uh Svitolina's made a few Svitolina's been played twice as many slams she's a little bit older but neither of them has matched their tour results at slams um and are they ready and for zverev there is this best of five question um, my favorite Zverev stat at slams, he is 0-7 against top 50 players at slams. Like, what is that? For somebody who's number three in the world. Like, and it's not like he's really fading completely physically in these matches. He played a five-setter against Rafa in Melbourne and, like, didn't look terrible in it. That was a couple years ago. So is he, is he ready? What do you, what do you think of, of Sash? I guess. I mean, yeah, he's ready. I mean, 
it's still peculiar only because if you go back i mean and the thing is sasha's very very young like we have to cut him yeah. a ton of slack on that like he's super duper young but when when you he's do... still he's still milan eligible this year <laughs> it's so crazy um but if you go back and you look at like the nisha Corys, like that generation nisha cory dimitrov you know Raonic, like whatever like they weren't having slam breakthroughs either but they were getting the door shut on them by the right people and that's the thing that confuses me about sasha we re- at the uh, slam results is that it's not like he's like constantly running up against like top 10 players and losing or whatever like he's he they're curious results and like you know chorich at the at the u.s open was like was wait really i mean good on i mean born and played amazing but like it's still it's still peculiar, which makes you constantly just kind of think like best of five, like what's going on there? Maybe his mentality, maybe the expectations, the pressure, maybe it's too much. I don't know. I mean, it'll happen. It's not like this is gonna be like a persistent stat, but whether sort of like the Zhang Shui of the ATP top ten. Yeah, but like he's there's no reason he can't do it. I don't know. I don't know really know what to say about Sasha, honestly. I mean he what he lost like one match like on clay this year yeah right uh, no he might have lost in, in monte, monte carlo, carlo okay so, but since monte carlo yeah he won he was on a 13 match winning streak going into the rome final he won munich and yeah. he won madrid yeah and you know and then rafa had that bad set he played and sasha played very well and got it and had the early break in the third before rain came and all that sort of stuff but you know i do think that um the french open's tough because you have to be you. I mean, I say this, but then Yelena Ostapenko won last year. She ruins every single one of my theories. Honestly, every theory that I have, I'm she like, should but have been seated Ostapenko. last year. But no, like you know, like you do have to be able to adapt, and you do need to be able to adapt on the fly. A lot of times, that takes experience to do, especially at the French Open, where seven different matches against seven different opponents, potentially in seven different conditions. Like, knowing how to do that, especially for the guys, best of five, that is an additional and rather significant um, change from what he's able to do on the tour. So, like, his inability to break through is, is I would say, probably more understandable and forgivable given his age and given the change in format from ATP World Tour to Slams. Uh, than let's say like a Svitolina where it's like a little bit more like, wait, what? Like you're so good and yeah. nothing is different except for the pressure, I guess. And maybe that's what's getting that's to you. That's very different. And yeah. it's very different. And, and you know, and, and so, but but staying with Sasha for a second. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's ready. Um, I guess, I guess I'd look at the draw for him, I suppose. Yeah, we'll look at the draw when we do the draw show yeah. uh, on Friday, probably. I guess the draw, they changed it to be a Thursday night draw show. Um, we'll do the show probably Friday. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's Sasha. Do you think that he's, is there anybody else? If it's not Rafa who wins, and again, we can do this with the draw, but if it's not Rafa who wins, is Sasha second most likely? I mean, I think... I don't think Sasha's second most you think likely. It's, is it team? I think it's team. I don't know. I'm not totally. I mean, matchup dependent. Very much, yeah. You know, for for team, I don't think that. I think Dominic is the second best clay quarter right now, but I also think that like if he runs up against Sasha in the semifinals, I'm probably gonna pick Sasha in that match. I don't mm. know why. I just. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, I don't. I don't know what I would pick. I just again, I think it's all Rafa, and it's interesting at least now that the other big four guys, because because Andy's not playing this tournament, Roger's not playing this tournament, Novak. 
Novak, we don't know what to think about Novak because Novak actually looked really good in Rome. He beat Nishikori, he beat Ramos really soundly. He beat a couple other people, I imagine, and then he uh, lost in the semis, in a tight semi to Nadal. Maybe he can be a guy who can make a final in, sure. in Paris, and uh, or if, if the draw shakes the right way. I think. I mean, I, I want, I want to see like that Novak back because you want to see like a proper challenger to Rafa, and that semifinal was really fun, and it was great to watch, and it was cool to see those two battle it out again, and that was the best that I've definitely seen Novak, you know, for a while. He was very upbeat after that match. Yeah, and he was pissed off on court, and he should be like that's. The, the woe is me, like, oh, like, yeah, Indian Wells Novak was just a bummer. Yeah. Like, it was so like, oh, what happened to you? But him, like, getting all full of spit and fire after he lost that opening set, you know, yelling at his team, like, I that showed me, okay, Novak's, you know, it's like Top Gun. He's, like, he's like engaged in the, in the fight now. So I hope that at the French Open, again, draw dependent, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, but, um, but I hope that he, he has a good showing cause, cause, cause the guys need him right now. The, yeah. No, he's, he's certainly there. A sort of lack of familiar names doing big things and contending for things. He does still not look physically ready. He still looks so thin and just like not strong. Not like, like, uh, Svitolina, we mentioned her a couple of times. She's like slimmed down a little bit and she looks much like more muscle definition and just sort of more in fighting shape. Novak just looks like he lost muscle. I mean, Novak just looks stringy compared to... Yeah his dominant self. I mean, he looks like he can kind of more like he did when he was a teenager. And then that's a big question for the French then with respect to best of five. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, so. For sure. Okay, so women's side, anybody before the draw comes out where you're particularly looking to see where they where they land after, I mean, there's been a lot of, It's it doesn't feel as open to me as last year. I mean, certainly I think it will be, I'll make this bold prediction because it hasn't been true to the last four slams. I think a seeded player will win the French Open. It hasn't been true at the last... Oh, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. With both Sloan and yeah. uh, Penko. Yeah. Um, I think, the, yeah, I think between Kvitova and Pliskova and Halep and Svitolina, I think I almost could end my list, like, there. I think that, like, it's been a pretty pretty tight group. And I guess Muguru... Well, I never know what to think about Muguru. I think you always have to include a Muguruza in there. I think that yeah. once... You know, and 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 who knows? Ostapenko can get on a roll. Oh, Ostapenko, yeah, I would throw her in there. Also too. in there, definitely throw her um, in there. A Garcia, she's playing very, very well, very consistently. Has like, I mean, like made like what quarters or better? Yeah, quarters are better at all of her clay tournaments. I mean, like, and then and then you know, Kiki Burton's Burton's mm. um, Burton's. I'll throw in there. I would. I, I'm gonna say no to Garcia as one of my shortlist contenders. As but now. but. Yeah, I mean that that'd probably be my list, my my like short list. But that's like a genuine to me, like a genuine favorites list. Mm-hmm. Like not even I'm not saying those are dark horses. I'm not saying those are like outside chances. I'm like those are the probably that's like eight players that we're saying can win the French Open, like legitimately. Yeah, that's a lot. That's seven more than the men. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty yeah. much. No, I I I don't I don't find. Outside of the addition of Petra, and I guess Pliskova only because we were not talking about Pliskova at all last year going into the French. I think outside of those two, and Garcia, I guess. So, but like otherwise, it's still the same crew, yeah? And Ostapenko. And Ostapenko. Yeah, no, I mean, more or less. I think that, yeah, we don't expect radical tectonic shifts in a year. So it makes sense the same people are basically hanging around. And we'll see. And there are wild cards. Not in the literal wild card because the Lord knows those French players aren't going to do anything here. By the way, by the way, on an NCR note, 
They didn't give Benjamin Banzai a main draw wildcard. They put him in qualies. And ben- it is disrespectful. Benji, did you see? He hit an underhand serve yesterday in qualies. Oh, I did not see that. Oh, we... It was like on, like, he was leading at game point. He, like, underhand served. I was like, oh my God. Did he win the point? I don't know. I only saw the gif of him just being like, doop. Oh. Banzai for Raleigh Chi. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no, we'll see once the, again, very matchup dependent as it always is for the, for the women's side. So, um, we'll have a better sense of things once the draw comes out, um, especially with the floaters, um, Maria seated. Um, so that's somewhat helpful with kind of a, a lesser amount of panic, yeah. I suppose. She's um, on a dark horse list for me. Yeah. She's no, like she... one of the, she's not a shortlist contender for me, but she's, she's one of the legit dark horses. She's probably the same level as... Um, I don't know who's on the same level as. What's interesting because a lot of the people who would normally make traditional like dark horses here, like a Bachinsky, she's not playing. Yeah. Uh, Siegman just playing, hasn't played that. Well, she's still coming back from injury. Who do you give a better shot of winning Roland Garros, Maria or Caroline? Wozniacki. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria. Okay. It's clay. I mean, the, the, I the clay thing just, always catches up to Wozniacki at some point. I guess that's true. I always, the more interesting one, I think, for me is is, is Maria or Serena. Because Maria. Serena is just such a wild card. Um, yeah, and Ser- Serena, I mean, Serena has the... If Serena wins the French Open, it'll be a lot of, like, told you so's or whatever. But... And it could... Ha- I'm not ruling it out as a possibility. I have to put her as a dark horse. I'm not make, if I have to make a kind of long shot list, she's on there. More than Azarenka. Again, because it's clay. More of yes, okay. I mean, I, I just want to say before draws come out, before everything happens, before everything gets thrown down, if Serena wins the French Open, like everyone should be shook. Not because again, this goes back to my whole thing. Not because like Serena couldn't do it, but that's a freaking unbelievable accomplishment. And I'm just like, before this tournament starts, before well, everybody's still like, I don't know, shuffling papers and shit. Like, I just want to throw that out there. Like, if she wins it, holy effing crap. Like, people should, like, just, I don't know. Like, I can't even articulate, like, how mind-blowing it would be for me. And again, it's not because I think that Serena's crap at tennis. I just think that, like, coming back from what she's done, not having lead-ups, uh, playing on her, at her on her worst surface, worst surface at her least successful slam in a field of accomplished players, like, that would be, that would be monumental. That would be stunning. It would be pretty big. Pretty big. Um... The other thing, this is a very different level of importance. Apparently, Serena practiced this week in Moritaglis with Bernard Tomic. I wish there was video of that. <laughs> I so I so enjoyed the video in Rome of Maria Sharapova hitting with Rafael Nadal. Rafa, who hit Maria Sharapova into form. Right, exactly. No, exactly. It was a good, good, good sparring partner that Rafa. Good side work for him. Uh, watch out. It was cause... actually a really good rally that they, like, they posted. Yeah. Like, I was like, Marie, like, we all watched it. We're like, holy crap. Like, she's Rafa not wasn't, bad. Rafa wasn't, like, hitting the ball. He was hitting the ball towards her, but he wasn't, like, holding back power-wise or spin-wise or whatever. Maria was really in that point and, and you know, eventually hit open court and dragged him out to wide forehand. And <laughs> we so, were all so, laughing. Yeah. I was like, what? Okay. It was pretty, it was pretty, pretty. I was just, it was just cool to see. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. I wish there was footage of Serena hitting with Bernard Tomlin. Just because Bernard Tomlin is such a weird practice partner for anybody the way he hits the ball but especially on clay i just I'm curious what that looked like and why serena signed up for that um yeah speaking of other things we didn't mention uh miami results at all but john isner won a master's title for the first time uh american good sweep. on him yeah american sweep and then Celeste stevens won there the bryans won doubles and coco won uh doubles with Demi. Ash oh with ash sorry 
I always want to mention Demi and I can't. But Demi, yes, sure, Demi shares one Rome. <laughs> she did. Um, and our hearts. And our hearts. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so that happened. American Men have actually had a really bad year. Outside of is outside <laughs> such weird tone. Outside of Isner's Miami title, it's been and I guess Johnson won Houston, but beyond that, Jack Sock has had a horrific year. He's ranked like hundred and forty something in the race last I checked. Maybe he got actually won one match in Morales. Maybe he moved up a little bit after that. Donald Young, low key, has really fallen off. Um, it didn't wasn't I didn't even notice because he's been kind of under the radar. Last few years, but he lost for trying to qualify. Harrison's the French surging. Harrison's kind of solid, tough fifty player. Um, so he's had a, he's had a solid year, but yeah, for the most part, American men, especially Sock, is the main one because he did so well into last year. And Isner had, Isner had had a, Isner had a really bad year until he won Miami. So anyway, what were we gonna say? No, I mean, what what, what Sock ranked these days? He's not think, top ten anymore. No, he's oh, okay. he's. Uh, let me look at the ranking. I was just gonna say, like, yeah. he would be a player that you would say like is one that shouldn't be like. That should take a hit in seeding. Definitely. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. So Sock is, rank, is seated is ranked fifteenth. He does not deserve to be the fifteenth seed in French Open, in my opinion, and just in terms of projected performance. He's not. I don't expect him to make second week, which is what a fifteen seed suggests that you are going to do. Um, in the That's rate, an interesting let me, one, though. I would yeah. love to like pose that question because I haven't. I guess I hadn't really thought about it before, but I would love to pose that question to like coaches tournament directors like players listeners listeners. like what does what is the seating is it supposed to be a projection of potential success like do people take it seriously i don't know i genuinely don't know what people think of it like what is the purpose of seating players i've always thought of it as a protection but that's very different than how you see it yeah jack is currently 125 in the race he's moved up a bit he's now just behind uh Adrian Menendez Maceiras and Ram Kumar Ramanathan and Jason Kubler and Christian Garin. Garin, I know that name. There you go. <laughs> you I was somebody like, who's ahead. He was of like ra- naming off all these names. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, Troitsky's one thirty in the race. I, guess I don't know if he's played much. Yeah. Okay. That's that's your Jack Sock update. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, yeah. Should we wrap up the tennis part and sure of this show? Thank you guys for listening to No Challenges Raining. Or no, um, no, that's how we do it. Thank you guys for listening to No Challenges Remaining. <laughs> if you want to follow along for our sporadic, but hopefully less sporadic episodes, uh, please follow us on Twitter, NCR underscore tennis. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. Send us emails, questions, comments, whatever, uh, to our email is nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. Uh, we're still working on postcards. I have a bunch of postcards in my backpack here that I've been getting through, mostly ones that are going to European addresses. So hopefully those will all be done on this trip. Um... Is that, yeah, is that all we you should say? Oh, and subscribe to us on iTunes and leave reviews. It's been a while. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and whatever podcasting platform you use, that's a great way to subscribe and get shows automatically and get updates and turn on your notifications on whatever app it is that you use. So you're bombarded with us whenever we choose to bombard you. Courtney, thoughts on anything that's happened to you in the last two months? We should say, by the way, that the game that we played in Charleston uh, was it's called Overcooked. It's a Switch game. And it was fun. And uh, it will reveal character. It reveals character very quickly. 
and 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 honestly, not even just, not even just character though, just sort of like. We, okay. So the game Overcooked, which I'll totally, I'll, I'll make it my rave. I don't care. Okay. And also my Switch. I like. I really, uh, you know, it's been about eight months since I've had a Nintendo Switch, and I really, really enjoy it. And it was a good investment. Um, I take it on the road. I can plug it into. Uh, hotel TVs and invite friends over and we can play and it's fun. And that's what happened was in Charleston. Um, a lot of rain delays and all that sort of stuff. And also just Ben and I hadn't seen each other for a while. So we played this game overcooked, which is a cooperative game where each of you plays these adorable little chefs. Oh, they're so cute. And we'll have to, sh- well, I forget, I forgot to take a photo of our avatars because they literally look like us. Like it's amazing, uh, especially Ben's, but, um, but yeah, and you basically have to cook together uh, and deliver these orders under time frames, and the 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 kitchens are always different um, layouts. And they have there's one that's a kitchen in lava. There's a kitchen where like the 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 it's like a food truck that keeps splitting apart. Two different trucks, yeah, yeah. They move apart. So it was really fun, and it was great. And I feel like Ben and I did not finally truly achievement unlocked this game until we both just accepted that we have certain characters like or personalities of that. Once we acknowledged what they were and could like, then we could cooperate seamlessly Explain as a team. That, so here was the never ending cycle of playing Overcooked. Courtney was sitting there quietly playing. Ben was shouting orders at Courtney. Courtney would just sit there and do it and like whatever. And then Courtney would finally lose her fucking temper and scream back at Ben. What the heck do you think I'm doing? I'm literally doing the thing that you're asking me to do. Like, why are you yelling? And Ben would be quiet for a while. And then this would start up again every 10 to 15 minutes. And and we would just kind of like grab things and there wasn't a lot of coordination. And then once like one late night, we finally I finally just like realized I was like, wow, actually, I am really good at doing the sous chef stuff. So I'm really good at chopping, grabbing like the pantry, pantry, getting all of everything set up and whatever. You're really good at the glory work which is like the actual grilling, the making and plating of the dishes and delivery. If we just focus on those things and also not talk to each other. The not talking was extreme. <laughs> we, we tried to one time this love we had special beating and just as an experiment, we tried not saying anything. And we got by far our best score. And it was, it was, I was shook. It was truly amazing. So like, it, and it was one of those where I was like, you know what? I've always been that person. I've never been the glory person. I've always been the one that like, when I watched A Few Good Men, which is the movie that made me want to be a lawyer, I did not want to be Tom Cruise. I wanted to be Demi Moore. I wanted to be the one sitting at the table that did all the grunt work and just handed you the file and you go and you take care of business. So it was like very, like, I was like, yeah, that makes sense, actually. That's kind of how I've always been. So you can learn about you yourself and your friends when you play video games, it must be said, or board games, but yeah. There you go. I suppose my rave should be about Eurovision which was wonderful and fun uh, this year. Shout out to the people at Wee Wee Blogs who like included me in their own, uh, their, like their table, their work table. It's like any press room. There's tables. Well, I take that back. It is not like any press room in terms of what Eurovision is like. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun being there. Uh, it was in Lisbon, which was nice. I've never been to Lisbon before in Portugal. And I got to go to Estoril, also the tournament, which was also nice. Um, Tiapo and Joao Sosa made the final there. And it was cool being there for the biggest Portuguese win and Portuguese tour level tennis history pretty much Tiafo's playing better yeah Tiafo yeah in terms of Americans Tiafo's doing well that's true and Sandgren's had a good year also um yes so Eurovision was fun I know Courtney was not thrilled with the result as per always um but I always get hosed I never get to win 
The best song is, ugh. Ugh. But I had a great time. And I don't really have more to say about it than that. It was just like, it was just like, and it just sort of, I guess, my, to spin it some way, it's just like, if you like something, you know, go do that thing. I, I, I haven't been to, I'll, I don't know if I'll go to Eurovision next year or not, but I've, I've been twice now. And each time it's just like, it makes me happy. I wish it was, I wish it was this week, actually. I wish it was sometime mm. between tournaments. Because having it at the front is great, but I would love to have it be like breaking up the trip somehow, and then more in the middle after a couple of tournaments. Because one, the first time I went, it was between Rome. I went during French Open Qualies Week, and that was wonderful. Um, but anyhow, it was great, and no complaints. And we'll have a Fuego outro Thank for y'all. Thank you, because that song rules. The hairography is amazing. Ben, why is all of this stuff geoblocked to the U.S.? Because like I was like talking about it nonstop, and like no one from America could weigh in. And it really bothered me. It's really frustrating. I don't have a good answer. I've still been trying to get to the bottom. There's something about like maybe if we have any music rights. Oh, like people. logo. No, it's, logo it allegedly has a... doesn't have that much to do about it. I blame logo because logo apparently has the they opportunity the or the rights, rights to upload it separately, and they haven't done that. So that's their fault. Um, but there's something about like collection services or agents. I I don't know. Whatever it is, it's really annoying that it's not it used to be not a problem with Eurovision. It's become a problem recently. And it's really bad. Because I feel um, like America needs to see Fuego. I agree. They haven't seen it. And if you go and watch Fuego, and if you're able to, like sign on to a VPN and be a European country and yeah, then go Tunnel watch Bear it, whatever. Tunnel Bear or whatever, is make sure that you watch the video, like the actual music video, because it is well, that, straight up a Beyonce ripoff. That's, that's not geoblocked. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then watch that. But also understand the video does not sell that song at all because it's like way understated and it's basically the Beyonce I'm, I'm Not Sorry video. But it's beautiful in, insofar as, like, we see where your inspiration are, where your inspiration's at. But then watch the first semifinal uh, performance of Fuego. Not the final, the first semifinal. And more specifically, when you watch the music video of Eleni Ferreira's Fuego, um, try to watch, like, the non-Eurovision official channel upload. Watch the one that she put up or something, because that includes way more of her product placement from the p- pineapples and bananas who funded her trip to Eurovision. <laughs> That's amazing. And also, she t- there's a Spanish version of Fuego that is amazing. Like, it's actually better in Spanish. And I think that's actually not geoblocked. Like, because well, it's, it's like a audio random file. audio file. Yeah. So, like, if you look, it, you can also do a search for Fuego Spanish. It's also very good. We'll see y'all after the draw. Yeah, yeah, fire. Bye, guys. You got me belly can fly, 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 yeah. Cause I'm Taking me higher